Hello, welcome to I Want Her Job, the podcast. My name is Brianne, and I'm the founder of I Want Her Job. In today's episode, I speak with Julie Kosin. Julie is the Director of Audience Strategy and Entertainment at HarpersBazaar.com. In her role, she runs the news team and oversees all things related to movies, TV, books, music, and art. She's been with the platform since graduating from college in 2014. In our conversation today, we talk about everything from Game of Thrones to the role of big data when it comes to finding the right features at the right time to talk to the Harper's Bazaar audience. And we also talk about her career path, her advice for women who want to get in the industry. And we even tackle that question of what do you possibly wear when you're walking into the offices of Harper's Bazaar every day. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Super excited to talk to you today. Uh, you just have this exciting job that has so many just like pinch me type moments associated with it. I imagine in my head anyway. So I'm excited to dive in and, and, and hear your take on what you do. But before we start talking about your current role with HarpersBazaar.com, I'd love to take it back a bit. So can you tell me a little bit about what your very first job was? This could be babysitting. It could be working at a restaurant. But what was the first job that you collected a paycheck? check for? Oh my goodness. I think it actually was babysitting um, for a family of a few kids at the, at the grade school I went to. Um, and I remember like probably having seen that movie When a Stranger Calls beforehand and having to determine whether I could like get over my fear of being in a house alone responsible for two children. And um, Obviously, the paycheck idea weighed, weighed out, so I just sat there in terror all night. <laughs> and where did you grow up then? I actually grew up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. Just like The Office. Just like exactly. The Office. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's amazing. About, so about two and a half hours um, west of New York, so I, can get, I get home pretty frequently, which is nice. So would you travel to New York on the weekends sometimes with your family, do back-to-school shopping, things like that? Absolutely. It was more like a special treat to get to go and, you know, see a Broadway show or go to the Empire State Building. We did all the very touristy things. And when you were growing up and you were in this first job and, you know, you were dreaming like young girls do, is is this the type of job that you dreamed of having? Did you dream of working at a big um, media company or did you think you might be doing something different? Um, I wasn't actually sure what I wanted to do for a long time, but I knew that I loved magazines without actually realizing you could turn that into a job. And I remember being a senior in high school and um, just like really gravitating towards my English classes and um, loving just like getting my ideas out on paper. And then something sort of clicked in me when I realized I could potentially turn that into a career. Um, and so that's kind of where that all stemmed from. And then I started sort of actively researching what that would look like and how journalism could be an option. And here we are. <laughs> so you graduated from Syracuse, correct? I did, yeah. Okay, so when you were there, what was your major that you were, you were going I was after? A, I was a magazine journalism major. Ooh, that's so fun. I went... I went hard for the magazine opportunities. So those listeners right now who are listening and they might be in college themselves and maybe they're undecided on what they want to do. What does a magazine journalism major do? What kind of classes did you take and what kind of projects did you do that stick out and still kind of are stuck in your memory today? 
I'm I'm sure it's actually probably a bit different now because I was sort of the last wave before digital became a huge opportunity. So we did, I will say that we did learn a lot about the importance of how to structure a story, how to, how to be a good reporter, um, how to, how to like, you know, find your angle for something. Like a lot of the journey, I always say that I have a, um, Oh my goodness, I can't remember the word for it off the top of my head. I always say that, that I, it was more of like a technical career path where you're learning how to do something and then you'll take and apply that skill set later on. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, now it's funny because I think they teach you a lot more about how to move really quickly and how to write for social media and that sort of thing. But when I was there, it was really about, you know, the content of the story and um, what that would look like and how to report it properly and what the ethics of journalism look like. Um, I worked on a bunch of different magazines um, throughout my time there. I wrote articles for classes. I wrote articles for the newspaper. It was really just about getting as much experience as possible. Well, it's exciting to hear they taught a lot about ethics. I actually, too, was a journalism school major. My major was in print journalism specifically, and we had ethics drilled into us. (laughs) But I feel it's it's one of those things, like, I feel like journalism school taught me basically how to have a conversation with anyone and also how to find the story in in anything. And I remember certain assignments that I'd cover, and I'd be like, oh, this kind of seems boring. And then I'd go, and you'd peel back the layers, and you'd find the cool story beneath. So... Um, I can definitely relate to you on that, and I still think it's it's one of those like degrees that that I mean everyone should take a journalism class. Would you agree? I fully agree. I fully agree. And I mean, I think I I realized how much I enjoyed um, reporting when I realized how much I just enjoyed having conversations with people and learning about them. And it's 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 pretty hard for me to talk about myself because I'd rather ask you about what you do and how you got into this role because I think that's so much more interesting than anything I would have to say (laughs) but um but no I mean obviously I don't think the basic I don't think the basics of the media and journalism will ever change even though we've moved into this time of huge swaths of communication moving back and forth constantly I mean obviously a good story is a good story no matter what it's so important to have a well-reported story that is factually correct and like you said ethically follows all the uh, the journal like the rules of journalism ethics 101 but it it has changed how we are transferring that information every single day so let's dig into that a little bit because one of the things that I think is really fascinating about your background is that um, while in school you were an editor for College Fashionista and um, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with that online destination. It's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about how you got involved in that and um, you know the, tra- the transition that you've seen in your career up to this point from the heavy focus on um, print to that complement of digital and then how the two can work together. Absolutely. So I think in college, one of the most important things they told us to do was get as much experience as possible, writing clips specifically, and that's something that I tell everyone who asks me about how to break into the industry today, but it's so important to write as much as you can, um, report as much as you can, you know, get, get that experience and get that practice in. So I think there weren't... I, when I started out, I thought I really wanted to work in fashion and be a fashion journalist, and I kind of took every opportunity I could find on campus to 
flex that muscle, and so I applied for the position, and that's sort of how I got involved, and I worked as one of their style gurus for a long time, and I edited for the site for a bit, and the most important thing that role taught me was how to break out of my comfort zone. I was incredibly shy as a high schooler. I didn't ever see myself as somebody who could just, you know, walk up to someone randomly on the street and have a conversation with them. And sometimes as a reporter, that's something you absolutely have to do. So um, that role was really invaluable to me um, to sort of just lose all inhibitions and go after the source. Um, so, and also it taught me how to write for the internet, how to, how to craft a good headline, how to, which is all such, so important and something that I don't think when I was a journalism student several years ago was something anybody was really even thinking about at the time. Mm -hmm. And now obviously we're very digital focused in all aspects of our lives today. And you bring up a very interesting point. I think some people might go to journalism thinking that, oh, I'm kind of shy. I'm kind of introverted. This is a chance for me to sit behind my laptop and write. But it's so much more than that. It really it really encourages you to crack open your shell and get out there and be vulnerable. And um, almost the more vulnerable you are, the better stories you can get because you can get others to open up to you as well. Absolutely. And, I mean, it's something I still struggle with to this day. And you sort of have to just kick yourself and say, get out there and do it, otherwise you're not going to get that story or you're not going to get um, that scoop that you need. You have to be a little persistent and you have to sometimes go against um, your, sometimes you have to go against your gut instinct, not all mm -hmm. the time, but when, when you have something in front of you and you're saying, well, it would be so much easier for me just to stay quiet and not pursue it, usually you have to push yourself to go a little bit further. Absolutely, especially I think in this culture right now of um, authenticity being a cornerstone of a lot of really brilliant content, it's it's encouraging those of us who <laughs> tell stories to dig deeper and ask tough questions of ourselves to ultimately get the best story and get the best interviews. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit, um, or actually a lot, about your role at harpersbazaar.com. Uh, there you are the director of audience strategy and entertainment. So do us a favor, break down that title, what it means, what you're responsible for, and your specific role for the dot-com. So I'm very lucky because I kind of built my own role over my last five years at Bazaar. I started out as their very first social media editor, and we were a team of five people. Um, and since then, I've watched the team grow into um, more than 20 people with all different roles, all different um, uh, beats that we cover, and it's really just sort of spectacular, and I'm so proud of the work that we've done over five years. Um, my role specifically as director of audience strategy, I oversee our social media team and our news team, and I have um, two direct reports underneath me, and we spend all day talking about the sort of news stories we want to cover, how we want to cover them, how to make sure we're getting the best possible story out there, um, and obviously the most accurate story and how to convey that message across our social media channels. Um, so that's a really good portion of my day. At the same time as Director of Entertainment, I oversee our culture vertical, which is mostly movies and TV. I get a little bit of help with music coverage from our wonderful news writer, Erica Gonzalez. And so it's really, my days are mostly spent juggling whichever most 
pressing matter has come up and when I'm not sort of putting out those fires or figuring it out, it's usually editing, writing, digging through my inbox, that sort of thing. So let's talk for a minute about I, I guess it's it's there's always been data to back up what you're doing as a journalist with your articles. It just used to take a lot a long time essentially to get reader letters to come in and to comment on a piece and to kind of see what piece was trending, so to speak. But now it's so immediate. So for the strategic part of your role, how much time do you spend looking at numbers and analytics and um, all of the interactions on social media? And then how do you use that information to inform your content? We really are looking at it in real time. Like right now, we are going super hard on Game of Thrones coverage because oddly enough, that's what the Harper's Bazaar reader really wants. And I mean, I can't really blame them because half of our team watches the show and regularly discusses it on Slack. And it's funny because it's really brought our team together. We've got two of the two members of our video team like actively fact-checking our Game of Thrones stories because they're so obsessed <laughs> with the show. Um, so it's kind of something that we can see in real time what people are reading, what they're reacting to, what they're tweeting at, uh, tweeting about, commenting on Facebook, commenting on Instagram, and really we take all of that into account in real time. Um, I'm constantly refreshing our sort of analytics devices to see what is doing well and thinking about, well, what's the follow-up story for this? Or, you know, we do use things like um, Google tracking to see like what people are searching for when it relates to brands like, or sorry, topics like Game of Thrones, for example. So um, it's, I would say that analytics and data is so embedded into our daily workflow that I don't even think about it at this point. Mm -hmm. But, and we're lucky enough to have access to that kind of information because you don't want to just be screaming into a void and hoping something sticks. You want to give your reader what they want and the sort of content that they're craving and looking for. And you mentioned something interesting there because you said that you will look up um, what people are searching in the context of a topic or a term. So do you find that you get a lot of article ideas that way? Do you also get article ideas maybe perusing Instagram? What are some of the, the more interesting ways that you find pieces of inspiration to then go out there and, and test on the site and say, oh, maybe this might work. Let's, let's, let's go down this path and see. We, as a team, we absolutely discuss what what we're sort of interested in on a personal level. Like I said, obviously we're using analytics in, to determine what our readers want, but when it comes to branching out, of course we're looking at Instagram for trends. I'm constantly on Twitter looking at what people are talking about, what they care about. Um, the sidebar of Google trending is super helpful because you can see like what large swaths of people are talking about at any time. Um, but honestly for me, when I'm thinking about TV and movies, luckily we kind of always know what's coming out ahead of time. So it's just about keeping up to date on what is going on in the entertainment world and sort of making sure you're ahead of the curve or you have an eye on what you think is going to be big um, throughout the year. And also, I mean, everything from conversations with friends to, you know, something that I've that, that catches your eye on the street, something that you're noticing. Like, lately I can't help but notice that everyone in New York has one of those rent the runway um, uh, unlimited bags with them, and that's something that we've talked about a lot in the office is how the fashion industry is rapidly changing and how um, the way that we wear our clothes and consume um, sort of as a consumer is changing all the time. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I mean, it's about it's just about honestly constant conversation and always keeping your eyes and ears sort of open and ready to absorb information. And and what is your volume like? So in terms of articles that you post per day, per week, per week, um, the amount of social posts you do per day, um, wh- what is that workload like? I would say it probably depends. Um, I don't even know if I could give you a number of how many stories we publish a day because mm-hmm. there's just so much going on at, at any time. I'm sure our news team puts out anywhere between 10 to 12 news stories a day. Um, and obviously you have features and evergreen stories coming up at, at any sort of time, longer lead stuff that people have been working on for over a course of weeks or months. So um, I don't want to give you an actual yeah, number that could be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we are publishing probably at least every, something at least every half an hour on the site. And social posts are just going up regular, like, I would say with that same amount of volume to sort of keep up with it and make sure that our readers can actually see what's going on. Interesting, interesting. So I would love to hear a little bit too about, um, you brought up an interesting point just there where you talked about how some pieces will take weeks or maybe months to put together. Um, you know, my understanding of the magazine industry, having interned in it at one point, is that it, it does take some time to put together the actual glossy issues that, you know, I'm holding in my hand right now, the new newest issue of Harper's Bazaar with Rihanna on the cover, which looks fabulous, by the way. And um, it, it takes so much thought and time to go into the publication. So how much do you work with the the magazine team itself to create extensions of content on the dot-com? And how much do they look to you to see what's trending to possibly inform stories in the magazine? So for a long time, we were actually pretty siloed and working separately between the print and digital sides. But lately, we've really started coming together um, to have, you know, huge group thinks about what's going on in the world, what's coming up next. Um, it's such a change of pace for me personally working on the digital side where I'm usually thinking in the moment, the furthest I'm thinking down is like what TV show is coming out next month and how I'm going to slot that coverage in. But for the print team, you know, we've already got ideas sort of brewing for January of 2020. So it's been such a fascinating change of pace and lately it's really just about sort of the print team will bring us their ideas and we'll start thinking on, well, how can we how can we expand this to digital, but how can we pool our resources um, from both sides of the spectrum and sort of create the best piece of content possible to live in print and online. And I think an amazing example of that is our uh, Crazy Rich Asians feature last summer. I believe it was in the September issue where we went to Paris with, you know, the real-life Crazy Rich Asians and the author of the book, Kevin Kwan, and sort of um, chronicled their days um, at Paris Couture Week. And it was such an awesome, you had this beautiful print spread in the magazine with these gorgeous photographs, but then you also had this mini documentary online that went super viral, and we are just so proud of that. We received an ASME nomination for it. It's super exciting when something big and ambitious that, you know, being on the digital team for a long time, we didn't know if that would have been a possibility five years ago, seeing it come to life in such a beautiful, um, in such a beautiful format is 
really exciting, and we are working on some more projects in that vein that we're really thrilled about. Congratulations on that. That's so huge, by the way. What a tremendous um, nomination to receive and an incredible accomplishment and something to be a part of. That's so cool. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so I'd love to talk. So it, it's funny because talking to you, I'm hearing some aspects of your job are the same on a day-to-day basis. But I would assume when you go in, especially in a content role, you really don't know what your day is going to bring you and what's going to unfold when you, you know, hop behind your laptop. So what would you say um, is with, with all that change, but some of the consistency, like what what are some of the, the mainstay parts of your job? And what are things, wacky things that have popped up in the past? Do you have some examples you could give us? Absolutely. So the mainstay is always a barrage of emails and Slack messages and text messages and Instagram DMs and Twitter threads. Um, on Just like the constant rush of information and figuring out how we're going to cover it, why we're going to cover it, does it make sense for the reader, that sort of thing. But then at the same time, it's scheduling interviews, finding time to go see, you know, the new Avengers movie, um, which clocks in at three and a half hours. So oh, wow. Time for that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really, um, in, I mean, in meetings, um, special events at the office, you know, we'll have an up-and-coming celebrity promoting a movie that they're hoping will be their breakout role pop by, and so we'll sit down for a meet and greet and, you know, get to know this person and try to see if there's a way to slot coverage in, or um, somebody will be shooting in one of the studios um, in our offices and we'll pop over and, you know, take a peek in and introduce ourselves and see what that sort of content creation looks like. I mean, every day is so different. It's so rewarding. It's so much fun to work across brands. We sit in sort of a digital hub, and I work very closely, and I'm very good friends with editors at Marie Claire and L17 Esquire Town and Country, and it's kind of, it's so amazing to watch these brands convey their voice through different pieces of content and different really ambitious projects and I kind of get to see those come to life every day so it's really exciting. That's interesting so I would have thought that you would be sitting up on the floor that's all Harper's Bazaar focused but you're actually in a digital hub with those editors for the dot-coms for the other publications too correct? Yes. Okay that is so cool that must bring some amazing different synergies of ideas and different things like that when you all are in the same area. It really does. I mean, I have a group of friends who are all entertainment editors, and we go to all the screenings together, and we'll occasionally, you know, watch something on HBO together, and sort of the conversations that come out of that have turned into some really incredible uh, story ideas, and it is such a privilege to have such smart people to bounce story ideas off of, to edit my pieces, to... um, to kind of um, assure me that, yes, this is a good idea and you should pursue (laughs) it. Um, It's really, I think we're all very fortunate to be so close and um, to work in that capacity. I mean, obviously there's a little bit of healthy competition, especially when you're covering sort of the same things, but Mm -hmm. it's it's just, it's been so beneficial to all of us and I think it's made us all much better editors and writers. Well, it's what's interesting, too, is all of those different publications you mentioned, they all have a different point of view. So you might have a slant that you're working on, and an entertainment editor for 17.com might have a completely different idea. So it's neat that you can kind of look at one topic from a bunch of different angles, if you think about it in that way. 
absolutely. I mean, Game of Thrones, like I said, I keep coming back to it because it's on my brain, my brain so much, but we've got all these different brands covering it, and we're all doing different things, and, like, still creating the, the stories that make sense for our audience, and it's all been very successful. So it is a fascinating way to look at how readers react to stories and, um, and what they want from the media brands that they're consuming, and it's, it's really interesting. As somebody who's just a huge journalism and storytelling nerd, it is, again, I keep saying it, it's such a privilege to be able to analyze these kinds of stories from all these different angles. Now, what would you say is the most surprising part of your job that you might mention to friends and family members and they kind of sit there and they go, oh, I, I had no idea. Like, you do that or that's part of your job? What would you say that that thing is or those things? Mm, that's a really good question. Mm. I'm not sure. I guess maybe, I mean, lately it's, so much fun to be able to, let's see, I think I really enjoy, you know, getting the time when I actually have a few hours to spare to actually like sit down and plan out a, a big story or a big feature that I personally really want to work on or, you know, want to write about. It. My biggest, my personal goals are to always sort of get my own writing time in and, um, cover the things I care about, obviously, the things that I'm super passionate about. So when I can actually, like, take a few hours and go sit down with a celebrity or an interview subject and actually get to, like, get really deep into the nitty-gritty and have a conversation with them, that's the kind of stuff that brings huge joy to me. And when I talk to my friends and family about that and I tell them, you know, sort of all the work that goes to, goes into creating this big story or this big feature that I've just sent them all so proud, hoping that they'll read. They are constantly interested in just like, wow, I had no idea what went into this. Um, and I sort of, I think my enthusiasm for it sort of seeps over into them. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I mean, I mean, it's also silly things like, oh, we actually can fit this phoner in with this huge celebrity, like, can you drop everything you're doing and go make the phone call right now? It's kind of like the craziness of that. I mean, we always joke, no, none of us are saving lives over here, but there is such an urgency and a timeliness to working on the internet that mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's fun and also exhausting to be so reactive to it. So you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you used to be shy, uh, particularly in your high school years, and that sometimes those moments kind of come back to you in little flashes. I imagine, like, I mean, I would feel intimidated if I found out that I had a massive interview with a big celebrity. Uh, do you ever kind of get nerves, or, or are you just, you do it so much that it's, it's kind of just second nature to you? What's, what, does, what is that thought process like in your head when you talk to someone who, you know, we all see on TV and in movies, and we're like, wow, that person's just larger than life every single time I think I have a mini panic attack every single time <laughs> but I will say that I put I do put a lot of research into the sort of questions I want to ask and the way I want to frame the conversation um just to sort of give me a structure sometimes you know that person might be more nervous than you are mm -hmm. so you never you never know what you're going to get and I think 
it's important to be prepared for any sort of circumstances. I mean, I remember my first celebrity interview ever was with Sarah Jessica Parker, and I don't think I ate that morning. I remember shaking, walking into the room. She was promoting her shoe line, and she couldn't have been lovelier, and it was such an excellent stepping stone and starting point for me. I just felt so much confidence after, you know, successfully carrying off an interview with this icon that... um, I, it has informed, like, it sort of gives you the courage to go and say, okay, well, this is what the next interview is going to look like, and so on and so forth. And, you know, you learn, you pick up things along the way. You, you learn um, what makes sense for the situation. And I've sort of branched out it to attempting to, like, do it in a more public forum, hosting panels, that sort of thing. And it's terrifying every time, but... The most important thing for me is the conversation and what you're getting out of it and hopefully creating something, whether it is a public conversation or an article that people are going to enjoy and are going to get something new out of. And it's going to change either the way they think about something or give them sort of nuance and insight into who this person is. And that's that's what's the most important to me. And sort of celebrating art because that's what we're all there for is celebrating the art of movies and television, at least Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Absolutely. And you bring up a really interesting point about how sometimes those situations that make us nervous, once we get through them, it builds like this amazing confidence level and then we can take on the next one. And I feel how you describe that situation interviewing someone like Sarah Jessica Parker is something that we all could use in our daily lives, whether we're going to a big business pitch or we're maybe doing a job interview. Like the more that we do it, the more that we practice it, the better we get at it and the more confident we feel right absolutely and I cannot emphasize that enough you have to do things that scare you I think uh, if I look back five years ago when I started this job and could see where I am now I, I would be utterly gobsmacked because I didn't have the confidence to speak up in pitch meetings for a year I didn't I don't think I wrote anything outside of social media text for a year. I was so terrified. But you have to push yourself out of your comfort zone because that's the only way you're going to get to where you want to be. You have to challenge yourself. Um, That is so important. But then I also think it's so important to sit back and watch and observe. You don't have to insert yourself into every single conversation and every single um, sort of scenario. It, It takes time to learn where where you need to be in the specific moment. But, I mean, as a journalist, observation is the number one key for me, followed by, obviously, pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone to get that story. What's some other advice that you have for a young woman who is breaking into her first job and she might be having some of these same feelings that you're talking about, whether it's in the publishing industry or working at a startup or, you know, the myriad of businesses that you can work at today? Um, What advice do you have for her as she walks into her first day at work? I think it's really important to make connections with your colleagues. Like I mentioned before, my relationships with my coworkers across brands and even across the company are so vital to the job I do every day, and they make me do my job better. Um, from going to happy hours to sort of just like, I mean, I've approached people in the bathroom and been like, hey, I love your hair, or if I know somebody has written a story that I love, just be like, this was so great, congratulations. Um, to 
sort of slacking somebody and saying, like, look, we have we don't know each other that well, but I would love to pick your brain about the company, I think, or working here or what you do every day. That's also a huge part of what my day looks like is sitting down with people across the company either to have meetings or to grab a coffee and talk about it. I mean, especially in publishing and in media, a lot of us are doing the same kinds of jobs, even if we're working on different stories and content. But you can, I have learned so much from good housekeeping editors and people working in partnerships with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I am learning constantly, and that is a huge, opening your mind to being educated at all times, I think, is the number one piece of advice I give to anybody working at any job. That's such golden advice, and you put it so eloquently. And isn't it funny how in your career you switch from the person who's asking everyone for advice on a regular basis to the person who ends up giving that advice to some newbies and then also still seeking out that advice because that chain never ends in our career. But isn't that an interesting transition? Absolutely, and it, it, I feel very privileged to be able to give advice and to be to be in a position where I have a little bit of um, authority on what I'm what I'm talking about and if I can help I it's very important to me to help other women succeed in whatever they want to do and to feel empowered because I don't I think it took me a long time to find my voice and to decide what I want to do and how I want to do it and I know how valuable it is to your career and to just who you are as a person. Um, so if I can help anybody sort of find either their confidence or their um, their voice, that is hugely important to me. And like I said, I'm still learning all the time. I do not claim to know everything. I'd say I actually know very little except what my own experiences are. And I think when you reach a position where I am, it is so important to reach out to people who are above you, at your level, and below you. Like, once, even if, even if you're at your job for a year and you see a new entry-level person come in, offer to take them for coffee and give them advice. Even if you see somebody coming in at a senior level, say, look, I've been here a little bit longer than you. I'm happy to help out no matter what. And you're building these amazing connections that you didn't, you didn't have otherwise. So if I was one of those new uh, employees at uh, harpersbazaar.com, one of the first things I would ask you for advice on is, what do you wear? Like, like that must be so intimidating to get dressed on a daily basis because you have all of these people who are so massively talented at putting outfits together. So when you wake up in the morning, how, how do you structure your what you wear and how you show up at the office? Oh, wow, that's so funny. I mean, some days... Like I said, we're big fans of Rent the Runways Unlimited program over here, so if I have a big meeting or an interview or um, an event I have to go to that night, I'm a lot of times I'm trying out one of their dresses because I just feel very pulled together. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, I mean, when I started out, I was just big on, like, super basic, all-black J. Crew. Made well, that kind of stuff, and I still, I mean, even to this day, comfort is so key for me in the office, and I'm not super embedded within the fashion industry anymore since mm-hmm. I'm sort of gravitating towards entertainment, so I just want to be comfortable and be able to get my work to work done, <laughs> but um, I think it's about obviously looking professional, but finding what speaks to you and not caring what anyone else says or thinks about what you wear and that's something that takes time and sort of a confidence something that built that you need to build your confidence on but 
at this point, I am way more worried about what you're bringing to the table than what you're wearing. That's great advice. Great advice. And um, I'd love to uh, thank you so much for all of your amazing pieces of wisdom here that you're dropping. I know people who are driving in their cars, they're on their runs listening to this podcast, are going to take their earbuds out and go like, oh my gosh, this girl's so cool. <laughs> so I'd love to wrap up the interview with just a few quick hit questions. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a statement and then I want you to fill in the blank at the end of the sentence. Perfect. Okay, the first one. I'd love to have coffee with. Ava DuVernay. She's the director of movies like Selma, and she has a new Netflix um, TV show coming out called When They See Us. She's a huge proponent of inclusion within the entertainment industry. I am a huge admirer of her work, and I would love to sit down and pick her brain to talk about um, like actual action we can take to increase um, the voices of women and people of color within the entertainment industry. The books on my nightstand are? Oh my god, if you could see my nightstand. My, I just piles and piles and piles of books. Um, that's, that's how I sort of um, decompress is by reading. Right now I'm reading Carmen Maria Machado's Their Body and Other Part, Their Bodies and Other Parties, which is an amazing um, collection of sort of eerie, magical realism short stories, and also Ra Rachel Cusk's um, out Outline Trilogy. Her writing is so um, hypnotic and stunning, and it's sort of um, her, the statements that she makes and her observations, and I'm sort of fangirling right now and can't get the words out, but um, I'm a big fiction fan, and that's sort of how I remove myself from the onslaught of information in my job. My current favorite saying or mantra is? Um, media made by women. I am obsessed with Killing Eve and Shrill on Hulu, and I'm constantly seeking out TV shows, movies, books, um, podcasts, created, written, overseen by women. My favorite way to spend my day off is? reading in the park, or going to boxing class. One lesson I've learned lately. I'm learning all the time. Um, take a minute before answering an email if you have an emotional reaction to it, whether it's excitement or anger or anxiety. Sit back for a second. Um, take a walk. Go get a coffee or uh, refill your water bottle and sort of, I often find that your immediate reaction will be um, driven by emotion, so take a few minutes to sort of let it sit and percolate in your brain and you'll find yourself giving a much better, having a much better response or giving a much better um, solution if you give it a few minutes. And the last one, I feel my best when? I feel my best watching my colleagues thrive and also sort of like when we all come together as a brand to work on something that we're all super proud of and it's been a hugely collaborative effort and everybody has had a piece in the puzzle or has had like a piece of the pie and we're all so proud of what we've created together. 
that really is the embodiment of everything that we stand for on the website and on the podcast. So that's such a beautiful note to end it on. Julie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So uh, those listeners who were crazy inspired by you, where can they go to follow you on social media? And where can they go to follow your work with harpersbazaar.com? I am at Julie Kosin across all um, media social media platforms. And um, you can find me, my byline, under the culture section of bazaar.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode of I Want Her Job, the podcast. We rely on word of mouth to grow. So if you like today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and leave us a review. And for more I Want Her Job 24-7, visit us at IWantHerJob.com.